this Jesus. This Jesus. This same Jesus, which you have crucified, is the Lord of glory. This Jesus. I greet you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's always a special opportunity for me to be at Christian Life. And I'm sorry that Pastor and Sister Chance are not here. But since he's not here, I can just preach what I want to. Ain't that right? Amen. Amen. It's good to be with Brother Rory and his family. Sister Chance, God bless you richly in Jesus' name. If there's anybody watching this online, I would suggest that you get a hand towel and put over your computer screen and just listen to it because I have a face that is made for radio. It, it looks terrible on a screen. I can see it up there right now and it's just, it's just embarrassing. But it's the best I've got. Amen. This is a special opportunity for every one of us. We are here in a place where differences can be made in every one of our lives. There is an anything can happen climate in this house today. And we want to let that happen. Praise God. Praise God. I'm turning your attention to the book of Psalm, chapter 63. I will read one verse of Scripture. Psalm 63 and verse 1. O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. My subject this morning is your thirsting soul. God bless you. You may be seated. The older you get, the more ritualistic you get, and the more you like things done the same way, and especially a guy like me. I, uh, I have an early morning habit. I, I just have habits, and if you're a fluid, fly by the seat of your pants, type of person that's all over the page, just keep having birthdays and you'll get more like me. I like things about the time I like a certain kind of dress socks, they quit making it, or shoes, they quit making it. 
to keep always keep me stirred up. But uh, m- most mornings that I am home, I get up and uh, I make a wonderful, wonderful cup of instant decaf, Folgers, coffee, very, very weak, uh, very, very weak. I put it in a styrofoam cup and I get in my truck and I drive around Moss Bluff and meditate and pray and have coffee with Jesus and uh, those kind of things. That's Most days I do that. Uh, I usually leave our subdivision. I go down Joe Miller Road to Crawford Road. I turn right. For at least two years, I have noticed at the corner of Crawford Road and Sharon Drive, there's a beautiful house place there. Lots of large oak trees. Uh, Sitting out near the road on the side yard, is a classy old model sports car. I did not know uh, what kind of sports car. It's just small, sleek, and it has sat in that one spot for at least two years. And... uh, I was intrigued by it, not because I was interested in trying to purchase it, because a guy like uh, my size needs a small sports car like a crawfish needs rubber boots. And uh, so finally, last week, uh, they have a little driveway that circles through the front yard. And I pulled into their driveway. It was quite early, just after daylight. I wanted to see what kind of car it was. And I pulled right behind it, and I could see the decal. It was a Porsche. And uh, I don't know anything about them. I understand they're very, very expensive. And uh, people like me don't drive them. But I, I, I thought... Boy, that little car looks miserable. It's black. If it was cleaned up, maybe somebody intends to restore it. But it it just really seems out of place. At least two years it's set under those oak trees. You know what that does to a car. It seems so out of place. And I remember years ago when my sons were young, we... Took them to Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. I don't remember much about Bush Gardens except for one thing, and that was a huge cage. It was uh, very high, probably almost as high as this ceiling, had wire across the top. It was an eagle's cage. Beautiful golden eagles and bald eagles were sitting on stumps and logs. I assume maybe their wings had been clipped. And uh, 
I felt so sorry for those eagles. They didn't belong in a cage. The words eagle and cage should never be used in the same sentence. And I felt so sorry for them. They were well fed. They were protected. But they they were miserable. Because that eagle was created for more. Your soul is like that. Your soul is created for more. And in our text, the Bible says, My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. My soul longeth and thirsteth for thee. Your soul originated in the second chapter of Genesis, verse 7. The Bible said that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And when he breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, he (coughs) ruined you (coughs) for this world. Uh, you'll never have enough money, you'll never have enough education, you'll never own enough land, you'll never have enough shoes or Oreo cookies to satisfy your soul. An effort of that nature is an effort in futility to think that you can. Because when he breathed into your nostrils and my nostrils the breath of life, He ensured that nothing would ever satisfy that soul but Him. And you have to be careful what kind of conversation you have with your soul. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 12... And verse 16, Jesus spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And that's what a good farmer would do. Someone who is a tiller of the land, that's natural response. The problem began in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You have to be careful what you say to your soul. Building bigger barns for your bountiful crop is okay. But never tell your soul these bigger barns are going to satisfy you. These bountiful crops are going to satisfy you. 
I am providing everything you will need to keep you happy. You have to be careful what you say to your soul. In fact, later in the parable, Jesus said that uh, God said to this man, You're a fool, and this night thy soul shall be required of thee. I don't want a tally sheet from your chief steward. I do not want a report from your CPA. I don't even want a health report from your doctor. I want to know what does your soul say. I want to find out what the eternal part of you is being moved by. This night thy soul shall be required of you. Your pastor did not ask me to come here this morning to sell you Amway products. I'm not here to give you advice as to how to invest your retirement funds. This night is, or this day is about eternity. O oh God, Thou art my God, my soul thirsteth for Thee. You won't satisfy your soul any other way. I don't, I don't know you. I know a handful of people here by name, and that's all. So I can speak freely today. And I can tell you I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what you face every day when you get up. But I want to tell you today that your soul will never be satisfied with the things of this earth. Never. In the year of 1885, a Swedish pastor by the name of Carl Boberg was visiting a beautiful estate on the southeastern coast of Sweden. While he was out walking one day, there was a sudden and violent thunderstorm that came up. There was brilliant streaks of lightning, booming claps of thunder. It was an awesome display to him. And then it passed swiftly, and the sky cleared, and the sun shone brilliantly. Birds started singing again, and the day became a calm and peaceful one. He was so moved by what he had just experienced, that he knelt and gave thanks to God when he got back to his room. And shortly afterward, he wrote his feelings in a nine-stanza poem. And uh, with the Swedish words uh, in the beginning, O Storgud, nor jagged in varled beskader, which in English that was that was the worst Swedish speaking that you've ever heard in your life. In English it says this O Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars 
I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And the chorus opens with this line, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. He said, this is not just the fruit of my lips. I'm, when, I, when I'm worshiping and singing in church, I am not just offering the fruit of my lips. My soul is involved. My, I want my soul to be engaged. When I'm sitting in the house of God, I don't want just my body to be here. I want my soul to be activated because my soul cannot be satisfied with anything less. You know, while you are sitting here, your soul is not thinking about the roast that is simmering on your stove or Pizza Hut or McDonald's or Longhorn Steakhouse. Your, your soul is not concerned about things like that. Your soul is thirsting after the living God. We use metaphorical phrases to describe our feelings, you know. My dad, and this is so gross, I shouldn't say this, but my dad used to say if he just got through eating a big meal, he liked to say, whoo, I'm full as a tick. Well, that, that's gross, you know. That's just terrible. But, or uh, I feel as big as a house, or... Uh, the Bible says in Solomon's love is strong as death. We use the word as to relate to something that we can't easily relate to. Revelation 21, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Using that to... Describe it. Matthew twenty three thirty seven. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. Uh, it, it, we use that little word as, as uh, to, to de emphatically describe something. So, possibly David was sitting on a hillside one day, and uh, he watched a herd of gazelles bound across the plain. Perhaps he was in meditation mode. Maybe he had been writing some poems. His heart seemed to be quite tender. It had to be to pen these words. Uh, uh, his mind was focused. And that's difficult for us to do in this day and time. Your mind is exposed to 2,000 different commercial messages every day. So God has to work hard to get through to us. 
And if there's anything worth the effort, it is worth the effort to set your affection on things above, to focus on Him. So here, David, obviously meditating on God. And when he saw that herd of gazelles run across the plain, he said in Psalm 42 and 1, As a heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after Thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God as a heart? As a heart panteth. Lamentations 3.24 says, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. Your thirsting soul. That's, that's what I want to speak to today. That's what I'm reaching for today. I don't want to tantalize you with words and phrases and my abilities. There's none there. I don't want you to remember any catchy phrase I might have used or my demeanor. I don't want that. I would like for you to remember that in that service, my soul became so hungry for God until I could not resist its yearning and desire. Isaiah 29 and 8 says that our soul hath appetite. Our soul hath appetite. Now, your soul doesn't count calories or carbs or fat grams or sodium levels. Your soul knows nothing about fiber intake, the hazards of dairy products, or triglycerides. Your flesh may be yearning after that job promotion or purchasing that new home or new car or a vacation somewhere. But your soul is thirsting for the living God. Your thirsting soul. You can't satisfy your eternal soul with stuff. You can't. My soul thirsteth for thee, O God. Brother Toby, could you help me? There's a lot of battles found in the Old Testament. Israel fought their enemies often and strongly. I don't think the Old Testament records a greater battle ever waged 
than is recorded in the Song of Solomon, chapter 5. This is an allegorical story. It is exposing a spiritual truth. And it is the story of a woman who has gone to bed. She's comfortable. She's asleep. She has her night clothes on. Her shoes are off. And then in verse 2 of that chapter, she makes this statement. I sleep, but my heart waketh. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm asleep. But the eternal part of me is coming alive. There's somebody knocking at the door. And, and her unconscious part is saying, it is the voice of your beloved. It's the one that your soul yearns for. It's the one that your heart uh, is smitten by. And he's knocking at the door. But I, and then she starts rationalizing. But I'm asleep. My children are in bed. I'm comfortable. I... I don't want to be disturbed. I, I just want to lay here and enjoy this bed and snuggle down under Grandma's quilt and, and be comfortable. And, and so she wrestles with this for a little while. Her beloved is trying to get her attention. She said, I sleep. My heart is awake. My heart is saying, get up, get up. <clears throat> what you want more than life itself stands at your door. What you want more than anything is just outside the door. But you've got to get up. You've got to get up. And that was a major battle. And finally, she roused herself enough to get up and rush to the door. And when she opened the door, the Bible said that her beloved had withdrawn himself from her. She missed it. She missed it. Her, her eternal part was doing everything it could to awaken her. I, I spent... Almost 35 years of my life as a pastor. And I, I, I spent a lot of time preaching to people and ministering to them and reaching for them. And I got, I got to the place I told my wife, I just want to stand up there sometimes and scream, Wake up! Please, please. Wake up. Just, that's, that's the soul part, you see. That's the part of you that is not politically correct. But that is the part of you that will stand before God and will live forever in a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. 
Could you stand with me? Amen. Amen. I, uh, I was just a boy preacher, pastor. I started pastoring when I was just a kid, like your pastor did. In fact, I think Brother Chance may have been a little younger than me when he started pastoring. I was, uh, I was getting ready to sing. Uh, I was standing over by the piano on this side of the platform. I, I don't. I, I'm assuming it was maybe just before I was getting ready to preach. And uh, uh, and all of a sudden, I heard myself shout out. Now, this this did not pass through my brain. I did not think about this. I just heard myself shout, Don't do that! For God's sake, don't do that! And the reaction was very similar to what it is here. People are wondering, Did he have a stroke? What, what, what's that mean? I didn't know what it meant. I wondered myself if I'd had some kind of collapse. <laughs> I don't remember what happened after that. I do not I do not remember if I preached. The next thing I remember, people are standing and kneeling at the altar and around the congregation and I'm moving from one person to another and just laying my hand on their shoulder and praying. And I, I, I don't know what has happened. I really don't know. I mean, I'm, God, I'm just a my early 20s I really felt foolish a fine man in our church was kneeling right back here and as I walked around I just knelt beside him put my hand on his shoulder and uh, prayed for him and when I touched him he turned and looked at me and the tears were flowing out of his eyes. And he said to me, Brother Mahoney, I had been planning for months that when I left for work tomorrow, I was never coming back. I was going to leave my wife and children, and I was never coming back. He said, when you shouted, don't do that. For God's sake, don't do that. I knew God was speaking to me. And thankfully, His soul reached out for that life preserver and let God rescue him from making a terrible decision. And he did not leave he stayed with his family. And I don't know if anybody in the world ever knew that but me. 
God will go to extreme uh, ends to touch your soul because He wants your soul to be saved. Let's go to prayer together right now as they prepare to sing. My soul thirsteth for Thee, O God. You know, every good thing that's ever come my way has passed by the altar. Is there anybody here whose soul seems to be drawing you toward the altar? Is the eternal part of you pulling you to prayer? Would you like to respond to that? Are there any thirsty souls here today? Are there any hungry souls here today? Yes. What I need, only you can give me. As folks come, let's gather here. As a church family, let's gather here.